Welcome to the Gifters Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Online Program, which teaches you how to turn your story into a successful speaking and online coaching business. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Our guest today is Pandit Dasa. He's a motivational keynote speaker, author, former monk and CEO, mindfulness, leadership, workplace, culture, and stress management are his topics of expertise. Pundit, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much, Christopher. Happy to be here. So we have just blew past 900 episodes for our podcast, moving to 1,000. And I think you might be our first former monk to be on our podcast. So thank you for being a pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy. I'm happy to be one of the first <laughs> or the first. Literally the first. Okay. So, so tell us about that. Tell us about your journey because that actually plays into what you're doing now in terms of the mindfulness leadership. What, what, what kind of monk were you and, and why did you choose that path at one point in your life? Yeah, I mean, you know, I went through quite a few ups and downs in my life. Uh, you know, born in India, moved to LA in 1980. I was only seven years old. My parents came over with like little to no money. You know, the, the first thing they did was set up a small shop on Venice Beach selling gift items. Uh, so that was my first exposure to American culture. Within a matter of eight years, you know, they're working literally seven days a week. They established a multi-million dollar jewelry business in Los Angeles, which was great for a while. Seven, eight years into that, the business caught on fire. We lost everything. We ended up leaving LA for good, going to post-communist Bulgaria. It's a very long story. We can't get into that now. Went to post-communist Bulgaria for a period of two to three years, established a business there. That's where my mindfulness journey began because that was such an uprooting and disrupting part of my life, just leaving everything behind in LA, moving to a country where nobody even speaks the language. So that was, imagine the pandemic without the internet. That's what life was like. No internet, nobody speaks English. And here I am living in Bulgaria. Spent two and a half years there, came back to the US, to the East Coast, 1999. I'm like, okay, I need a break for myself. I gotta figure out what I wanna do, how I wanna live, who I wanna be. I fly off to live in a monastery in India. Thought I'd be there for a month. Loved it so much because we were you know, waking up and meditating for several hours a day. The rest of the day was spent serving one another, serving the community. It was a life of simplicity, humility, and service. I fell in love with it. Spent six months there, came back, moved into a monastery in New York, spent another 14 and a half years there. So I spent a total of 15 years living as a monk in New York City. <laughs> that is a phenomenal story because... I forgot, was it Robin Sharma like, or something about Ferrari and a monk? Or, so there, there's two people. Yeah, the monk who sold his Ferrari, but I don't think that, I'm not sure if, that, if that's a true story or not or what. But. <laughs> it's just a good title, but I, I, I admire monks for many reasons, but especially for the discipline of just saying, look, this is my beliefs. This is how I'm going to live a simple life. So now that you, I believe, are a mindfulness coach and leadership coach, how did you make that transition from being a former monk to now a helping corporations and individuals really help, a, help them understand how to be more mindful. So even when I was a monk, I was doing a lot of talks and speeches on mindfulness, uh, work-life balance, managing stress on college campuses like Columbia University, New York University. And I was getting invitations to speak around the country. So that already started as a monk. Part of my duty was to teach. It's not just like you gain all this amazing wisdom and keep it to yourself. You got to give it. So I was doing that on a volunteer basis for about 13, 14 years. And then like my 14th year in the monastery, people who I had cultivated or helped grow and who were working in corporations started inviting me to speak in their organizations. Like a friend of mine who was working at Bank of America invited me to speak there. Another friend invited me to speak at Google and Intel. And then 
when I was leaving the monastery, when I just felt like, okay, I, I want to do this more full-time and permanently because it's so, it's so wonderful to be able to speak and help people reduce their stress in a corporate environment, that I just started doing it full-time. So it, it was a very gradual, very organic thing that I was already doing it as a monk to college students. And then I just gradually transitioned to doing, basically I graduated from college and went into, went to work. <laughs> yeah. So. No. And, and as you know, now it's a huge industry. I mean, I remember tra like TM transcendental meditation. Some people charge ridiculous amounts of money, but, but I remember when I was in American express, this is literally more than 20 years ago, but I did a meditation workshop and that workshop was packed. As you can probably imagine, meaning so many people in the corporate world, are super stressed, overwhelmed, just essentially they're just reading emails every day. And so what you do is so powerful. So let's talk about some of the things that on a day-to-day -day level, how can we all, since most of our listeners are entrepreneurs and executives, how can we be more mindful? How can we be more clear, be more calm like you are or what you teach? Well, you know, one of the things we have to understand is that all of mindfulness starts with our mind. A lot of our stress and, stress and anxiety start with our mind. So I like to compare the mind to a smart device. So like on our smartphones, if we have too many apps open, it slows the phone down, it drains the battery. So our mind, let me, a question, you can, everybody can think about this. How many apps do you think are open in your mind right now? Right? It's just like, okay, it might take a moment a minute, a few to figure out how many apps are open. So what mindfulness is doing, what I'm helping people do is learn to see which apps are open and close out the apps that you don't need so they don't drain our emotional and mental energy so we can focus on the apps that we really do need at that moment. So we can be more present with the person we're having a conversation with because I'm sure this has happened to all of us where you're having a face-to-face -face conversation with someone and your mind drifts. You didn't decide for your mind to drift, it just did. And then you come back a minute later, not being able, to, not remembering anything the person said, or our mind also wastes a lot of time thinking about the past. Like, let's say we had an argument with someone, an hour later, we'll replay that whole, whole argument all over again, but to no avail. It doesn't do anything good. It just makes us frustrated all over again. So really what I'm doing is helping folks to be able to close out those apps so we can be more present with a client maybe that you were talking to, to a colleague that we're about to have a meeting with, to our family members, and I think it all starts there and also closing out the apps we don't need. So if we're replaying something negative from the past, we know it's not serving us in any capacity. So why not just close that out and just stay focused and stay calm ourselves? Because that's when we can be the most creative, most focused and most productive. When you share like that, Pundit, it literally is the perfect analogy because I can't tell you how many times I've looked at my colleagues' computers and they have like 15 apps or 15 or literally 40 windows open. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but but it's, it's so profound what you just said. Yeah, our minds, we have all these things going on in our head with these apps, especially now, whether on a phone or on a computer. But that's a perfect way to, to first frame what you do. Now, in, in actual practice, when we wake up, what's the first thing that you might encourage us to do in terms of creating this sense of mindfulness and, and clarity? Well, two things you shouldn't do. I'll start with that. Don't check the news and don't check your phone, right? So let's not do those two things. And I think the first things we can do is just waking up, take five or 10 deep breaths. You can do, even do this while in bed. Just take five or 10, 10 deep breaths, calm yourself, relax yourself, even though you might already be relaxed, but it can also just help us become, it can also just help us wake up. And then take a moment to think of two or three things that you're grateful for. What are three things that are happening in your life that you're grateful for? Because this is a great way to shift our mindset from the negative to the positive, right? So take a five or 10 deep breaths, 
Think of three things that you're grateful for and think of somebody in your life that you appreciate, someone who's encouraged you, supported you, and inspired you. Now what's that doing? It's you're waking up with the right mindset and with a positive attitude, and that will affect everything you do for the rest of the day. You know, that's perfect advice because I remember reading somewhere where when you look at a person's childhood development, the first three years are the so most important in terms of foundation for, for a kid. Literally, the first three years determine so much of their life. And I have found as a self-employed man for literally 20 years, if I don't anchor my day in the first hour, the first three hours, it affects my whole day. So what you're saying, just simply taking those deep breaths. In my case, I, I always drink water and I meditate. But again, when I don't do that, I'm completely out of whack and it's not a very pretty sight, but I love how simple it is, but how profound it can affect your whole day. And it's also based on science too, about gratefulness and whatnot. So when you work with these executives, what are some of the most common challenges that they have that you're able to help them with? So, you know, one thing I, I'm always encouraging them, I'm like, look, you know, especially right now with COVID and the virtual setting, like make sure that you reach out to your colleagues or your direct reports and have a non-work related conversation. Understand what they're going through, develop empathy, show empathy, understand what their struggles are, what they're going through. So like once you can understand them, then try to appreciate what they're doing. Don't just call them when something's not going right. Call them when something is going right. Call them just to see how they're doing. And through that, uh, through that expression of appreciation, you'll earn their loyalty and trust. And you know, that's just going to help them be more loyal to you and they'll want to be there actually. I mean, there's all kinds of research that shows that employees who are appreciated work harder. They're just more loyal and they're more dedicated. They'll do more than asked for actually. So that's one thing I'm really highly encouraging executives and people in management and supervisory roles or anyone in general in the workplace. Like, hey, reach out and appreciate someone. We all know how good it feels to be appreciated and we all know how miserable we'll feel when we're not appreciated. So it doesn't take long to figure that out. And if we know how good we feel, why not reach out and give that good feeling to someone else, right? What, how much is time does that take to reach out to someone and say, hey, I just wanna know how you're doing. Is everything good, your family good? They'll appreciate that so much. They'll be like, wow, my manager called, didn't even ask me about work. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And those times, frankly, really will make the difference because when they look back in these times, it's easy to find friends where you are your parade, but it's much harder to find friends with people who really support you when you're going through this tough time. So great advice, Pundit. I really appreciate you being on our show. How can our guests connect with you and stay in touch with you? Well, one is through just LinkedIn, looking up my name, Pundit, P-A-N-D-I-T-D-A-S-A, or website. My website is the best way, PunditDasa.com, P-A-N-D-I-T-D-A-S-A.com. And you can get all the information. There's a great, some, some great articles there also on mindfulness in the workplace, some motivational videos. And of course, you can reach out to me if you want to connect and have a longer conversation. Pandit, thank you so much for your time. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Christopher. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Gifters Podcast. If you want to learn how to turn your story into a successful speaking and online coaching business, go to ChristopherKai.com to learn more.